Last week, we said that there are unique points in the lives of individuals and nations. Today, we look at a huge turning point in the nation of Israel in which they go through a transition from being ruled by judges to being ruled by a king. How does that come about, and what are we to learn from it? Well, that change comes about through the obstinate demands of God's people. At the core issue is how is God to rule over his people? Our theme this morning is the negative consequences of the Israelites obstinately demanding that an earthly king would reign over them. Again, the negative consequences of the Israelites obstinately demanding that an earthly king would reign over them. So we begin by looking at Israel's demands of for an earthly king. The elders of Israel initiate a meeting with Samuel to ask for a king. That comes about in verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. This meeting is unlike the meeting that took place in chapter 7. In chapter 7, Samuel is gathering the people together for prayer, 1 Samuel 7, 5. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. Here, the elders of Israel initiate the meeting with Samuel, verse 4 of chapter 8. Then all Israel gathered, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. They came to him. He did not go to them. But most importantly, they did not come to listen to the prophet or to inquire of the Lord, nor to enter into a time of prayer. Rather, they came to communicate their demands to Samuel, verse 5, and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. And now here's the demand. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. This should set up a red flag for us, for it is never good when God's people come to make demands of their leaders rather than to listen to their leaders, rather than to seek God's will, and rather to pray. And so they have some presenting problems as to why they want an earthly king to reign over them. First, they demand a king because they think it is time for Samuel to retire from being a judge, verse 5, and said to him, Behold, you're old. You're old. The implication is, Samuel, it's time for you to be replaced. Now, like many presenting problems, there is always a measure of truth in them. What they say is, Samuel is old. Guess what? Samuel's old. Verse 1, when Samuel <clears throat> became old. All right, so what they say is true. Secondly, the second presenting reason for wanting a king is that they want a king because they think that Samuel's sons are not fit to be judges. Verse 5, and said to him, behold, you're old. Now here's the second reason. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Again, there is a measure of truth in what they are saying. It is true that Samuel's sons were not fit 
to be judges in Israel. If you look at verses 1, 2, and 3, it reads, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of the second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his own sons did not walk in the ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Though there is no word of God's displeasure with Samuel, it is a wonder that Samuel did not remove his sons from being judges after the negative example of Eli, who refused to remove his sons as priests and uh, took them out of their office. Nevertheless, Samuel did not. However, I said that these were presenting reasons for wanting a king. That is, these are kind of trumped up reasons. Even though there's a measure of truth to them, it's not at the core of what their problem is. It's not at the heart of the issue. And one of the things that reveals that very clearly is the fact that they're not looking for a new judge. Those would be reasons as to why they may need a, a new judge in Israel. Samuel's old. It's time to replace him. The sons are disobedient. It's time to replace them. But to replace them with what? A judge. But that's not where they go. They don't say it's time for a new judge in Israel. They say it's time for us to have a king. A king in Israel. That is the real reason. That is the real problem. So let's look at the real reason they want a king. The reason they wanted a king is because they wanted to be like the surrounding nations. Verse 5. And said to him, Behold, you're old, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now this. Now appoint for us a king to, be judge, uh, uh, to, be, to judge us like all the nations. Uh, we want a king just like all the nations around about us. They all have a king. We want a king too. They envied what the other nations had. In particular... They wanted a king that would go before them into battle. If you look at verse 19 and verse 20. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So they wanted a king to lead them into battle. There had been this progression First, God had led them into battle. Then they wanted the ark to lead them into battle. Now they want a king, an earthly king, to lead them into battle. Uh, they didn't want to trust in the Lord. So now we see Samuel's initial response to Israel's request for a king. Samuel takes this request for a king quite personally. He is saddened because he views it as a rejection of himself. Verse 6. The thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prays about it at the end of verse 6, and Samuel prayed to the Lord. That is always a good response with our concerns, with our uh, displeasure, <laughs> with our negative reaction to what is taking place. Pray. And that's what Samuel does, and which is what we all should do when we encounter situations that bring distress and Sadness to our hearts and lives. God now provides Samuel with a new perspective of Israel's desiring a king. 
Samuel was not to take it personally. Samuel is not the one being rejected in verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. And now this, for they have not rejected you. Samuel, this is not about you. This is not about your judgeship. This is not about your relationship to Israel. Take your eyes off of yourself. And don't be upset for yourself. Don't take this personally. Samuel needs to understand the bigger picture here. Uh, Samuel needs to understand what is really going on, which is far more serious than Samuel's feelings. And that is, the people aren't rejecting Samuel, they're rejecting God at the end of verse 7. Obey the voice of the people, all that say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. That's very, very important for all of us to understand. That up until this point, God is viewed as the king of Israel. There are kingship words used of God uh, among them uh, where he is enthroned on the Ark of the Covenant. God is the king over Israel. Up until this point, Israel is a theocracy, meaning ruled by God. Therefore, to reject the judges, they were refusing to hear from God. God says this moment has been a long time in coming. Israel had been declining in their relationship to the Lord for a long time. Verse 8 According to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt unto this day, for forsaking me and serving other gods, God says this is just a culminating factor. Uh, this is just the logical conclusion of the path that Israel was on. That is, they gradually were farther, going farther and farther and farther away from God, forsaking his ways, not doing his will, and so it comes to outright rebellion of which they do not want God to rule over them any longer. They had forgotten how truly blessed they were to be under the direct care and protection of God. The fact that in the past he had led them by a cloudy pillar by day, a fiery pillar by night, how he had uniquely made a relationship to the nation of Israel. Nonetheless, they repeatedly forsook God in times past and follow other gods. Now, they are forsaking God in order to have an earthly king. In the book of Judges, which is comparable uh, to the time period in which we are studying for Samuel, uh, remember this is Samuel a judge. So the book of Judges is taking place at the time of this discussion. And in the book of Judges, we have this very famous verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And because that is such a well-known verse, I think that most people jump to the conclusion we're talking about a time in Israel when they didn't have an earthly king. 
And everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes because they don't have an earthly king. Let me give you the context of that particular verse. Actually, it appears twice in the book of Judges, but let me give you the first context of that verse. So, Judges 17.4, So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod, and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The context is refusing God as their king and doing what was right in their own eyes, establishing their own worship, establishing their own gods, ordaining their own leaders, all to achieve their own ends, simply to fulfill their own rebellious desires. They rejected God as their king. That is what is the heart of this passage. Therefore, it is because they are rejecting God that they are rejecting Samuel. Verse 8. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought you up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me, serving other gods, now this, so they are doing to you. The reason that they are forsaking you is they're forsaking me. The reason they are rejecting you is because you are speaking for me. It is me that they are rejecting, not you. I have learned an awfully long time ago that if people are not right with God, they are going to find fault with the church, they're going to find fault with the elders, and they're going to find fault with me. For we represent and we speak for God. So if people have a problem with what God is doing, <laughs> they're going to have problems with what his representatives are doing. But the heart of the matter is submitting to the Lord. So God tells Samuel to give the people what they want. This is stressed in the passage. In fact, it is three different... 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not objected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Verse 9. Now then, obey their voice. Verse 22. The Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice, make them a king. Give them what they're asking for. Give them what they want. They're demanding a king, give it to them. However, first... Samuel is to make it clear that there are going to be terrible consequences of their decision in wanting a king if they follow through on that demand. Verse 9. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them. <laughs> make them aware, make them conscious, help them to understand the consequences 
of that demand. Let them see what the outcome is going to be. Samuel's to help the Israelites understand what the negative fallout is going to be in having a king rule over them. It looks desirable to them. It looks great. But rather, pro proclaim the problems associated with that king. They are to be warned. They are embarking on the wrong path. Now the problems of having a king are described. First, the king will be self-serving. He will be taking from them, and they will become his servants. Uh, they are going to experience hardship as a result of having this king. Key word is the word take. Take. Now notice in verses 10 through 14, the word take appears six times. If you're a person who marks your Bible, you might want to circle the word take. Listen as I read. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his forest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grains and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and shall be his slaves. He will take and you will be his slaves. The king will provide for his own selfish self-interest. He will look out for himself. The children of Israel want an earthly king to be their caretaker, to be their provider, to be their benefactor, to be their defender, the one that they can trust in, that will go to battle for them. But in reality, the king will be a burden. They will have to defend him. They will have to provide for him. They will have to sustain him. They will have to fight for him. He will take and they will serve. It's not all that it's cracked up to be. This is not the kind of relationship that they think that it is and that they want. They are deceived. But the most serious consequence is not the hardships that they're going to experience as a result of having an earthly king. The most serious consequence is that the having of a king, the people will be estranged from God. Uh, there is going to become a barrier between God and them. Verse 18. And in that day you will cry out, because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. 
Don't expect the Lord's help when you have rejected that help. Don't expect the Lord's help when you have gone consciously against what he has revealed his will to be. Don't expect God to defend you when you have sought another source of defense. Think about what it means to reject God's authority and reject his words. Nevertheless, the people defiantly refused to listen to Samuel, verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They refused to obey the voice of Samuel. The word refused. They will not listen to reason. Their mind is made up. There is a tremendous word picture that is here. There are a number of different Hebrew words that are translated into English to refuse. This word refuse speaks of a wound that won't heal. It's like a sore that won't get better. As they listen, and as they are diseased by this desire to have a king, and a remedy is provided for them, that is repentance, they refuse the remedy. They refuse the cure. And they are going to find this disease is going to spread in their midst. This disease of rebellion. This disease of failing to trust in God. How greatly things had changed in the ministry of Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, it's kind of hard to remember those days as we uh, have been working through this passage. But if you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, it said this, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. In Samuel's lifetime, he went from a place where whatever he spoke would not fall to the ground. Whatever he said was listened to and followed. And everyone said, Samuel is a prophet of the Lord. Now Samuel's old. And now in Israel, they are no longer listening to him. They are no longer hanging upon his every word. And they are no longer viewing him as a prophet of God. The one who speaks for God. The one that should be followed and adhered. Instead, they turn a deaf ear. Verse 19, but the people refuse to obey the voice of Samuel. They defiantly refuse. Verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no! You can't get more defiant than that. You can't have a clearer response to what God says than to say, no! That's not what we're going to do. No, Samuel. We're not going to listen to you. No, Samuel. We're not going to listen to what God says. But there shall be a king over us. That's what we want. 
That's what we demand. And that's the way it's going to be. But of course, they had no way to ultimately overcome God. And so God says repeatedly, if that's what they want, let them have it. If that's what they demand, give it to them. They want a king? (laughs) All right, Israel, you got your king. Again, the real reason that they want a king is they want to be like everyone else. Verse 20. That we also may be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out and fight our battles. One might ask the question, why in the world do they want to be like the nations around about them? Why do they want to be like everyone else? Why do they want to be like those nations that they had conquered? Those nations that God had delivered them from. The nation of Egypt and what it was like to be under the authority of Pharaoh. Why do you want to go back to that? Why do you want to regress in your thinking? Israel, who had defeated the nations and who had experienced God's greatness and provision, now view themselves as inferior to the nations round about them. They thought that these nations had it better than they did. They envied the nations. And they wanted to be just like them. They were rejecting what was at the heart of the uniqueness of the nation of Israel. Namely, that God would be their God and they would be his people. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people. For all the earth is mine, and it shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You will be my kingdom. I will reign over you. I will provide for you. I will take care of you, God says, as he leads the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And they say, that's great. Yes, that's what we want. Now they're saying, no, that is not what we want. And even more strikingly, they had come to the conclusion that in their unique relationship to God, they were inferior to the nations round about them. They envied those nations that had a king to lead them into battle. Rather than seeing themselves as blessed and privileged, they viewed themselves as missing out and less than the nations that surrounded them. The same thing can happen in our own individual lives. The psalmist describes in Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. As they looked around about them, The psalmist says, when I look at the wicked, I see how good they have it. And I begin to want to be like them and desire what they have. Here, it's 
blown into a macro situation in which all of Israel wants what the nations have round about them. In Psalm 73, it says, until I understood their end, until I went into the house of the Lord, until I gained perspective. But in this passage, Israel doesn't gain the perspective. Well, that's what happens in a nutshell. And so we ask ourselves the question, what is there in this passage for us? Uh, that, that's a nice history lesson, but, but what, what are we to learn from this passage? Well, just as Israel was led by God, who was to be its king, so the church is led by Christ, who is to be the head of the church, and who is to be the king of the church. Christ is the head of the church, just as God was the king over Israel. Listen to the words of Ephesians, chapter 1, starting at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in Lord Jesus and your love unto all the saints, I do not cease to thank God for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. According to his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in also to come. And he had put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body that fills all in all. Christ is the head of the church. Just as God, the king over Israel, mediated that kingship through judges, now in the New Testament, Christ, who is the head and king of the church, mediates that kingship and authority through the elders. So the elders are the judges, as we find in this passage. So to reject the rule by elder is akin to rejecting the judges. In Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So the elders have this oversight that God had gives, and they are to function under the authority of God, just as the judges were to uh, function under the authority of God. Again, to reject the rule by elder is to akin to Israel rejecting the judges. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Don't make it miserable to be an elder by your disobedience, for they would be of no advantage to you. It's not to your well-being to 
revoke God's authority. It doesn't turn out well, just like it didn't turn out well for the Israelites. It looks good, but it's not good. Israel wanted a king. The Israelites saw it better to have a king, that form of government. Well, as we look around us today, we don't have a king. We don't live in a, a country that has a king. So what might our desires be, and how might this passage correlate with our situation today? Answer being, we have a democracy. We live in a democracy. And many Christians today want the church to function like a democracy, where everyone has their input, everyone has their opinion, and everyone has the opportunity to do that which they desire. Further, if we don't like the decisions our leaders make, we protest. After all, that's what the world does. If in our democracy, if you don't like what the leaders do, well then, just protest. Just stand up and say, no! That's not what we're going to do. We're not going to follow that leadership. We make our displeasures known, heard, and felt with the intent that we hope that it will bring about a change. Eventually, our voice will be heard or we will just continue in our refusal. We should hearken the words of the book of Judges. For I think it typifies the church in a whole. I'm talking big church now. I'm talking about Christendom. I'm talking about church in the United States. That just as the nation of Israel, we live in a time in which everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. Everyone wants it their way. And if we don't get our way, we're not going to listen. Just as Israel had to learn that it wasn't Samuel that they were rejecting, it was God that they were rejecting, so too, if we reject church authority, it's not the church we're rejecting, it's God's that we're rejecting. For just as God has established judges, God has established elders. God has established the rule. God says, give them what they want. Verse 22, the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice. Make them a king. Verse 17, obey the voice of the people. Verse 9, now then, obey their voice. Beware that in your obstinacy, God may give you what you want. Don't reject what God has established for your own protection and well-being. Many times the children of Israel grumbled against Moses in the wilderness. They were tired of manna. They wanted flesh to eat. You remember the story. And they demanded quail. God gave them the quail. And it says this, While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Be careful when God gives us what we want, what we demand for. 
for in rejecting God, we always reject what is good for us. The other great temptation that is around about us is not just following a democracy, but following big business. More and more, the church at large is following a business model in its rule rather than an eldership that's described in the, board, uh, in, the, in the Bible. So many churches, the boards of elders are being chosen under the criteria in acting in keeping with the secular boards of business. That is, wealthy individuals who are good businessmen, etc., etc., etc. Pastors are conducting themselves more and more like CEOs of large companies than pastors of churches. Fact, many large churches actually prefer a pastor with a business degree over a pastor with a theological degree. If you just go online and look at church after church of the very large churches, you will find that the pastors don't have theological degrees, they have business degrees. That's more desirable in this context, the day and age in which we live, where we view the church as a business more than we view it as a spiritual entity. It's more important to know how to run a business than it is to exegete the scriptures and to teach the word of God. The gospel is being treated like a commodity, a product that is to be promoted and sold. Individuals are viewed like consumers. The question is asked, how can we package the gospel to make it more attractive so that the consumers will buy into it and follow it? What is the best marketing strategy that we can adopt for the day and age in which we live? Let's take a survey. Let's find a poll. Let's see what people want. Let's see how we can package the gospel to make it sound good and appealing. In all of this, if we go down those roads, if we follow our political system of today, or if we follow the business model of today, the reality is we ultimately are rejecting God. We are rejecting his authority. We are rejecting, rejecting his word. We are doing what is right in our own eyes rather than following the scriptures. Let us guard our hearts for it is very easy as we saw the psalmist in Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. My steps had almost gone. I was envious of the wicked. We have to be careful that we don't envy the world, that we don't adopt their practices, that we don't want to look like them and think that somehow we are inferior. Somehow we are harmed by following the word of God as opposed to doing what is right in our own eyes. Follow the elders. See them as instruments of God's grace and leading in the life of the church. Pray for them. And as elders, we may, must follow the scriptures. Not follow the world. Not follow business. Not follow the political model. Follow the word of God. That is what is the way to blessing. 
That is what brings glory to God. And that's what brings peace to the church, just as it would have brought peace to the nation of Israel. May we know peace as we follow God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word and we ask for your wisdom. But we ask, Lord, for hearts that crave a desire to follow you. Lord, we are aware of the pressures that come upon us. The world shouts into our ears. Uh, We hear the news. Uh, We rub shoulders with people that have quite contrary opinions. Oh, Lord, keep us steadfast. Help us to be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Lord, being thankful for your reign over us, being thankful that you are God, and never losing sight of your protection and your goodness, realizing that just as in the nation of Israel, that you mediated your reign through the judges, help us to recognize that you mediate your reign through the elders. And to reject the judges was to reject you, and to reject the elders is to reject you. So, Lord, help us to understand. Help us to appreciate what we have. And, oh, Lord, give us the restraint. Give us the spiritual wisdom to understand the problems when everyone does that which is right in their own eyes rather than doing that which you have revealed. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.